You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. That gay's kick is no good! Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Neither rain nor sleet nor 18 inches of blizzard will stop this podcast from recording. No, yeah, th- this is coming live from the uh, the under-snow bunker here. I've got snow more than 50% up the uh, the window here. Yeah, we are, uh, you know, our DirecTV is obviously out, and that's a sign it's a good storm. And, you know, we're here. I'm here in Manhattan. And, you know, it was a fun day. I love snow. I'm still like a seven-year-old. I was hoping we had no school today, and I'm not in school anymore, so it doesn't really matter anymore. Uh, But it was nice, nice walking around. You know, you don't have to worry about a car, and you have food in the house. Hey, man, let it snow. No, this is a a good one. I've, I've been... I've been living in the city now for 20 years. This was definitely a uh, – certainly a top tenner, probably a top fiver for the amount of snow we had. Yeah, I have to say, you know, as a kid, I loved snow. I, I didn't even mind shoveling that much because, it, you know, half of it is shoveling and the other half is horsing around, throwing snowballs, sledding <laughs> down. I lived on a hill as a kid, so sledding down the, the, the road, things like that. So I never minded as a kid. I still, you know, now, you know, working from home or whatever, I don't have to drive anywhere. So I get to just enjoy how nice it looks outside. Um, yeah. I enjoy snow. But, man, when it comes to driving, it really is yeah, the worst yeah. thing you have to deal with. As much as we love you all to listen to our podcast and you're driving, uh, do us a favor. Don't listen to this show while you're trying to get somewhere in the next 24 hours, please. Just get there safely. And yeah, then you can real. listen to us all you want. And then when you want to drive off the road, when you listen to our takes, go go right ahead. But just be safe for now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, normally we would have a, a nothing episode here to talk about. But instead, Cranky Fan's uh, slightly fired up, I'm imagining. Um, in a bold move over the past week, the Giants came in pretty quick and um, signed freshly axed. Tennessee head coach Jeremy Pruitt to be part of the defensive staff. Everything I've read so far does not actually specify where and in what capacity he's going to be coaching at. Um, But, you know, given the vacancies on this staff with uh, Bielma leaving, it seems to be in some way a linebacker role. He has some history coaching the linebacker position. Most of his career has been a DB coach, but I, I, I don't see that as being the shakeup there. I think he's probably going to end up coaching either inside linebackers, outside linebackers, or just the entire linebacker unit. There's no, there's nothing saying they won't shake up how the, the responsibilities are delegated, but um, it was a pretty quick switch between him uh, yeah, it seemed like the Giants swooped in and took him, right? Yeah, I got a lot of thoughts on on Pruitt. Um, the first thing, I'm going to preface this by everybody on the show knows my bias towards Florida and against Tennessee. So let's get that out of the way right now. But second of all, you know, I always make fun of coaches for winning the offseason, and especially Tennessee, because they seem to 
you know, it was up to them. They would have banners all over Neyland Stadium saying they won the offseason for the last 20 years with some recruiting signing or a coach hiring or some dumb cliche they're going to use. Uh, momentum that always works in their favor from January to September, and then it kind of falls apart when you actually play games. But um, there is something, though, about a coach that, you know, kind of is related to that, that I have like a, a smell test, and it's it's the post-game press conference. And some coaches you can tell right off the bat when they first start, are they going to be a good coach or a bad coach, just to highlight kind of the way they answer questions. And the reason I'm saying this was after the 2018 Florida-Tennessee game in Knoxville, we were up there for the game. Florida blew out Tennessee. Tennessee had no business being on the same field as Florida, and we weren't that great anyway. But I love listening to the opposing teams, you know, radio, local radio, like their their announcers, what their thoughts are. And, you know, they go and listen. They do a live feed of the press conference of the coaches and listening to him answer questions I distinctly told you know people we were with in the car like this guy's a bozo this guy does not seem like a smart person I mean there's one thing just to shoot out cliches and give non-answer answers but he just sounded like a guy that was in over his head right out of the, out of the gate and I just never forgot that thinking that well, I'm not going to have to worry about Tennessee anytime in the near future because this is not a guy who's going to bring this program back. You know, and then obviously, you know, I'm not sure how much this audience stays attuned to college football or the SEC or what goes on. But Jerry Pruitt was fired and Phil Fulmer, who was their athletic director and was the coach who won him a national championship in 99 and it wasn't for C. Spurrier, it would probably be the best coach in the SEC in the 90s he had a he was forced to resign because they had this big scandal going on where they were just flat out paying recruits and when I mean paying recruits they'd come on campus and they would give them bags full of McDonald's bags full of money like not trying to hide it not trying to launder it through some scheme but coaches were just giving these recruits money and an investigation has been kind of going on with them, and supposedly George is involved in this investigation also, but that hasn't come out yet. And they said there was going to be you know, grade one and grade two violations against Tennessee, which are extremely significant. And you know, they dropped the hammer on them really quick. I mean, Tennessee is a, it's a team that's rebuilding. I mean, it's going to take a long time for them. And he was not fired because of just the incompetence on the field, which it was a nice display of, which I, I – generally enjoyed but they fired him for just being a shady fucker <laughs> so i don't know why we've all of a sudden become this way station for either shitty or shady sec coaches uh but we kind of are now this is the second one we've had we brought in right off the bat from getting smoke from a job um and we had arkansas's coach uh brett Bellamo also you know bad coach the SEC, and we hired him pretty quickly. Um, I, we, we kind of were, we were impressed with the original coaching staff of Joe Judge, bringing in a lot of guys that had a lot of head coaching experience to kind of help him along. But you know, it's a big difference from your first year to your second year. You know, you, you're starting to get your sea legs as a coach. Do you really need all of that mentoring around you? So to bring him in just because he was a head coach, I'm not buying. 
I just think, you know, I think this guy's a scumbag and I don't think he's very bright and I don't understand the point of bringing him in. I also think it's pretty shady that these guys in college, whether it's, you know, it's Pruitt or even go back to Pete Carroll where they are about to hit very serious show cause violations and big, big trouble in college and they can skate off and have a free life in the NFL with no, you know, implications or no penalty for it. And this is a guy that if he was trying to get another job in the SEC or in college football, have a very, very difficult time doing it. So bottom line, I don't understand the point of bringing in a buffoon who I don't think is a very good coach to begin with and brings all this baggage in another, you know, in the last five or six years, the giants have made some kind of interesting decisions with personnel, whether it's players or coaches that, you know, we were trying to be the model like us and the Steelers as being, you know, the uh, the gold standard for franchises, you know, doing things the right way. And I don't know. This just seems very shady to me, and I, I don't like it. All right, so let's back up just a little bit. So one of the things that you know is important here. Let's let's start with um, let's start with Jeremy Pruitt's past because we're gonna leave we're gonna leave the scandal off to the side for just a for just a second. We'll we'll check it we'll check it again. Um, Jeremy Pruitt played for Alabama for uh, two years as a DB. He went on to coaching immediately after leaving uh, college at the high school level, I think. Um, and he moved his way up until 2007 um, through 2012. He coached at Alabama in different capacities, which is the connection to Joe Judge right there. Joe Judge was at Alabama from 09 to, 0, uh, to 11. To, to 11. So, um, there's your crossover right there. There's your possible connection. There's your possible, you know, Joe Judge knows this guy. Maybe he knows something about him that the rest of the world doesn't. I mean, well, <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, from after 2012, Jeremy Pruitt leaves Alabama and goes to Florida State in 2013 as the defensive coordinator, wins a national championship. Now, again, Defensive coordinator. He's not the head coach. This is Jameis Winston year, right? That I think. team. That team won the national title because they had an amazing offense. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not. I'm not lauding him or anything like that. But I mean, I, I don't think that many teams win national championships with a awful defense. So it's Florida proved this year. <laughs> yeah, there's a. There's um. You know. There's some. There's some level of credit to go there. And then, and from 14 to 15, he goes to Georgia. Where he's the defensive coordinator, another you know two really good teams. Uh, there's a crossover with Lorenzo Carter in there, I think. Well, that um, wasn't that wasn't the same Georgia we have now. This is pre Kirby Smart. It's this pre-Kirby is pre Kirby Smart, yes, but still good teams. Yeah, they, you know they good enough to be good enough to be what you if you're a Georgia fan wanting more, which is ultimately why their coach was fired. They were tired of. Being ten and two every year. Well, here's the thing, though. When when he leaves Georgia, he goes to Alabama again, and there he's the defensive coordinator for two years, wins a national title in 2017, um, which well, is two a game. Right, but that's also it's also a team that you know you are basically getting to coach a roster full of NFL players. So it's really I, again, yeah, I'm not. It's like celebrating a guy for uh, you know hitting a home run when he started on third base. Uh, yes, um, kind of. But, but I mean, at the same, the same time, Nick Saban is not going to hire 
a DC that he doesn't think can handle some level of responsibility. And what I'm you seeing here, Liam, you hired Liam Kiffin. Wow. <laughs> and you know, and they, and they still, but he also that fired him. With, he fired him the week of the game, but he still got them to a championship game. So yeah. and he, he but what I'm seeing here is I'm seeing a man move up the ladder, no matter what. Now, is there some sort of, I don't know, maybe he has some fucking dirt on everybody in the SEC and he's able to move his way up the ladder there. <laughs> I, I don't know. But, I mean, as soon as he leaves Alabama, he gets the head coaching job at Tennessee. And then on top of that, and again, I'm not fighting for this guy. I, I think I'll leave my, my opinion on the matter, you know, at the end. But I'm just I'm just showing that. So I'm seeing a guy who moves up the ladder. He eventually gets a head coaching job at Tennessee. And prior to the scandal at the beginning of 2020, got a contract extension. So well, even the, though they were not playing very well in the field, something in there led them to believe, led the school to believe that he was worth more time. Tennessee is a program. Again, remember their athletic director was a retired head coach. I mean, the the old days in college football, and I'm talking about pre pre 2000, let's say, when the the money really started coming in. With the networks, when you started having the the uh, you know the BCS and now the playoff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. athletic directors were really you know almost sort of figurehead positions where you gave the guy you know Vince Dooley was the athletic director at Georgia, you know these are the positions that were more figurehead. They may have had like their assistant AD did a lot of the dirty work, you know contract negotiations with with. Uh, you know, sponsorships, working with your uh, booster things for fundraising, uh, working, you know, contracts with, with coaches and stuff. So, but Tennessee's, but that the era of, of bringing in your old hero, which they brought him in, if you remember, was after the Greg Schiano fiasco. Hmm. They were going to hire Schiano, the, 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 the fan base, which thinks they are at a much more important level than they actually are, revolted, and it resulted they ended up firing the athletic director over the whole thing, and they brought in uh, Fulmer basically as a, all right, let's just get someone we know to kind of right the ship. So this is not a guy who's making the soundest business decisions, and you know, the the history of coach of of schools giving extensions when they're not warranted and getting burned by it is long. I mean, shit, Florida just stopped paying for Will Muschamp last year after giving him a big extension. So, I mean, it, it, it affects everybody. So that, that does, that doesn't tell me anything about, you know, anything basically. Well, I mean, I don't think it says nothing though. I mean, in a, in a bubble. Yes. I would agree with you. Yeah. Okay. So you have a bonehead, uh, athletic director, maybe not making the most sound financial decisions, but you know, you're asking for too many coincidences when you say, you know, Alabama takes him on as uh, their, their quality control coach in 2007. They upgrade him to DB's coach. Florida State likes what they see in him. They hire him as a DC. They win a national title. Georgia likes what they see in him. They hire him on as a defensive coordinator for two years. They change head coaches, so he goes. Alabama takes him back as a defensive coordinator. I mean, that's a lot of people making not sound decisions. Now, now I, I will, I will give you this. I, I, you know, he is probably one of those guys who's better suited to be a coordinator or a position coach than he is a head coach because I get soured very quickly on these guys. You know, they go up the ladder and then they hit that, you know, when becoming a head coach, it's obvious some of these guys can't handle it. They're best off being 
a notch down. He may be very well be one of those guys, uh, but I well, can't take the, I can't take the scandal out, out of the equation. Also, no, I, I understand that. Well, and again, I'm I'm putting that off for a little bit longer because you transitioned perfectly into what I was going to say. Um, uh, as far as that goes, if he's just a position coach from an a football intelligence perspective only, are you worried about you know what he brings to the table here? Based on his past, based on anything you've seen. Actually, here's something I'm I'm worried about something a little differently than his past with that. If he's jumping from being a head coach at a major, you know, a, a, a power five blue blood school like Tennessee to becoming a position coach. Mm-hmm. You know what that tells me? He's just buying his time. He just took whatever job he could get. As soon as he gets something a little better, because he most likely still has either the head coaching blood or the coordinator blood still in him. So even if we hire him this year, how long is he legitimately going to stay with us? So well, I mean that's what- fair, but but also, do you think that even matters? I mean, coming from the, the way I'm looking at this, I, I completely agree with you. In fact, that's exactly what Bielma did, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. Left Arkansas. He left us right before yeah, the end left of the us year. In the middle of the season, and even wait till the season was over. Um, I mean, if you bring in a guy, let's say he's a position coach who's a, you know, a, a, yeah, Pruitt's not that old, but a, a younger guy with less experience who's hungry, he's going to try to earn his bones more, mm-hmm. and may not necessarily jump at the first thing that happens. I mean, this guy again, this is a way station for him. Sure. And you know, someone's gonna. You know, don't ever think that someone's damaged goods the first time around. They'll never be hired again. I mean, Brent Bellum is a, a piece of garbage as far as I'm concerned. You know, and someone hired him. Everybody here who listens to this show, I'm sure most of you people don't like um, Gary. But guess what? He had an interview for another job one year after being canned. And I guarantee you'll have more interviews next year. So. Just because they fail at the first thing does not mean there's other people in, you know, especially insiders in in different uh, organizations that don't see, you know, the attributes and they want to bring him in. So, unless the Giants have some plan where they're going to, you know, you know, if uh, Patrick Graham gets another gig after 2021, gets a head coaching job, that he's the heir apparent. You know, I, I to me it's just like, what's the point? Because it, it's It'd be very difficult to believe he'll be on this staff in 2022. So that's not that's to, actually exactly to, where I was going to go. Not so much, and he's a cheater. And who knows what kind of? I mean, are we going to get into Greg Williams territory with the guy if he's a a complete scumbag? I don't know. Well, okay. Well, before we get to that, last thing is, you know, when I look at position coaches, to me, there's there's only they're all important. Don't think that when I say this, they're not important. But when it comes to position coaches. The most important one to me always is the offensive line coach. And it's like full stop there. The next one is several rungs lower, and I would put the quarterback's coach in there. Everyone else, I think you can kind of interchange. You know, I think they're I think mostly the new same. Now. I think there's this new passing coordinator role yeah. that's kind of developed. I, to me, that's getting more and more. I mean, that's getting traction. But I mean, not even. That. It can't be super important if not every team has one. Not even close to every team has one. Right. Well, I mean, the innovative teams do it, and the yeah, ones that are successful do it. So it, it's uh, teams but, that have you know, money like, to spend. But but to your point, you know, a, a passing coordinator is important. Yeah. But if you don't have an offensive line who can, you know, make allow you to execute what the passing coordinator wants to accomplish, 
it's all meaningless anyway. Well, it's not even that. It's just the offensive line you. is such a unit-based thing. I mean, the defensive line is too. Everything is unit-based, but the offensive line has to be very, very much in sync. And there's Absolutely. so much at a talent level in the the many little things with how many steps, which foot first, you know, which way to lean, which way to pull, you know, passing off stunts from one to one guy to the other, hand placement, punch power. There's so much, even from the from the college level up to the pros, we see it all the time where, you know, really good college tackles struggle at the NFL level. It's so important. It's so mm-hmm. important. And I think it's more that position group than any other position group, the the offensive line coach. So for me, if he comes here and he does a good job with the offensive the 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 outside linebackers or the inside linebacker, whoever, wherever fucking linebacker group he's he's looking over, and he gets some job somewhere else back in college as a head coach or a defensive coordinator. I'm not gonna miss him that much if he comes in here and he brings a little something for while he's here. That's awesome. My other thing, which you already said, is that um, you know there is some level of how long are we going to be able to keep Patrick Graham around with money? I mean. It's clear that Patrick Graham would like a shot at being a head coach. He certainly deserves one. Um, and I, I think we didn't even give the the, the idea any sort of uh, entertainment. We didn't really let him go on in an interview. Just kind of were like, please, here's some money, stay. Um, <laughs> so I, I, maybe he's insurance to become a defensive coordinator here. Maybe he's insurance just in case, you know. Maybe he has the chops to be a DC here, or maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Maybe he'll be an assistant DC. I think that's also fair. But really where I get worried in all of this is the scandal. And, you know, on a certain level, I think that this scandal of paying players, recruits, paying recruits, happens on a much wider scale than is reported. I'm oh, of course to say it is. Any school, every school does it. But I think a lot of schools do this. And I think they're probably not as egregious about it, right? I mean, there's a well, guy and they're going kind to of pay it. him. That's kind of it. Yeah. The the fact that – two things. One, they were that egregious and they got caught mm-hmm. in something a, – a, a scheme that was so obviously asking them to get caught. And B, they weren't good at it. Mm. <laughs> I, mean, the, the, I mean, they were – Stroking each other off last off season about how great their recruiting class was, and the class was still wasn't even a top ten class. Still was the seventh best class in the SEC. So they weren't even that good. I mean, when when uh, the one year that uh, dipshit was the the head coach at, at Tennessee, uh, Butch uh, Kiffin. Oh, 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 I mean, he came in there and he scorched the earth. He was horrible. You know, he just it was a big mouth. He was trashing everything and out. He actually brought people in. The problem was none of them could stay in school because they were all pieces of garbage. But, you know, if you want to go strictly by the rivals rankings, he had like a top three class in that first year, re- immediately turned heads. I mean, Tennessee's class is eh, all right. So there's there's some guys here and there. Yeah, there always are guys here in the SEC. Yeah, but I, I, to make, I'm not arguing with you. Just Yeah, just... but I mean, the fact that he didn't even cheat well makes me think the level of incompetency. Yeah, I, I, I'm worried about this. You know, I, I, I'd rather have a. If, I mean, this, this is this is awful, but I mean, I'd rather have a coach who's busted for paying recruits in college to come to a school than have a coach that is paying NFL players to injure other players. Since we're talking about Greg Williams before, um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no question in my mind. I mean, one is, one is, you know, 
breaking NCAA rules, but essentially it's what they do in the NFL. I mean, they pay players more money to play for them. So it's not really this real underhanded. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, disre- it's a disregard for what the rules oh, are. No, I, I, that's, I it doesn't me, yeah. matter what he did. It's the fact that it's, you can't do something. No, and he, I, I agree. Exacting. The other one though, I mean, is actively hurting the game. Uh, so if we're going to, I mean, maybe he's a fucking idiot. I, I don't know. Maybe he's an idiot. Maybe he felt pressured to do it by the AD. Maybe he didn't. I, I don't know. He but didn't sound far. very smart. When, again, I'm well, going back the, to the my real, eye test. The real worry th- – yeah, well, um, the real worry thing is uh, they're not even done with the investigation. He's already been fired because what they've found already, and they can't comment on much of it uh, because the investigation is ongoing, is there is a clear pattern of abuse – uh, of you know whatever abusing the rules um, and covering it up attempts to cover it up so I mean right there to to me th- this is bad news um, yeah I don't understand I don't, I don't know what the uh, you know is the squeeze worse the orange juice with this thing I I don't see it yeah I don't know I, but again you know good coaches have come out of this kind of thing in the past you know. Um, I mean, shit. Urban Meyer left a, a trail of fire behind him too. Not for this, but for you know other things. It's a little different. I a mean, little different. Urban I mean, Meyer, again, he wasn't breaking. You, there's there's something different about just being dirty. Like Urban Meyer was not a dirty coach. I mean, you know, did he bring in guys that maybe are not the most desirable people? Absolutely not. Did he leave on the best of terms in two schools? No, but. I don't – it's different than this situation. I mean he's going to leave – he's going to leave Tennessee in a – it could be a decade before they build out you know, build out of what this is going to happen for them. Well, based on the punishment, yeah. I mean – Yeah. They may not be able to recruit, right? I mean isn't that's, that – That's what I mean. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all, all in all, uh, we'll, we'll see what his, what his role is here. Uh, as far as being a position coach, I'm pretty – fine with it I don't really care um, I like the fact that he has experience and the reason I say that is because in this same week that uh, this was announced and I'm sitting here reading all this about this guy um, I'm watching interviews with new head coaches in Detroit and Philadelphia and I'm like god damn I'm so glad that's not what Joe judges. I mean now I feel yeah. like the rest of the league when Ben McAdoo showed up in a suit three times bigger than him. I mean Nick Sirianni for Philadelphia just kind of blubbered his way through a press conference. His own press – he's not even answering questions. He's, he's got note cards. Um, and it was like a substitute teacher's first day in front of humans – um, well, we we said though that we thought the next coach would be like a caretaker while they go through, you know, their salary cap issues and all the things they have going on. Yeah, so sucks, man. That I I yeah. hate to be an Eagles fan right now. I mean, I hate to be one ever. <laughs> yeah. And then the, this this asshole in Detroit, I already hate him. He's like coming in there fire. He he reminds me of like someone trying to be Rex Ryan. It seems like we've been saying that about Detroit coaches for a long time now. But I mean, and at least Matt Patricia, players, at least yeah. I, I feel like with Matt Patricia, there was some level of intelligence there that I could respect. I mean, maybe he's not head coach material, but I didn't look at that guy and say that he's a fucking total idiot. It, it, I didn't think, 
I think he was an idiot. I just didn't think he was genuine. I think he was sure. trying to play the part of of uh, Belichick. Belichick, yeah. So that's you know, being an idiot and being phony is there really a difference? Well, well, I don't know. This guy's press conference, I had to stop halfway through. I was like, I can't watch this shit. This is so stupid. Um, it sounds like a Hollywood, his, his press conference. Did you watch it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I didn't want. I don't waste my time watching these guys. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, 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 I obviously heard the blowback. It was very much like if Hollywood scripted a high school football team's like locker room pep talk at halftime, and that was that was his press. That was that was him introducing his vision for the team. It was so stupid. Like, I mean, it was just like. The kind of thing where you're watching the movie as like a nine-year-old kid, you're watching like Remember the Titans or something. You're like, can this really happen? Like this is <laughs> this seems over the top and silly. It was exactly that. Um, so like, you know what? Like, For a position coach, you know maybe we're just right in line with the league. <laughs> well, I guess you no. Know, since we're bringing up uh, the Lions, we might as well talk about the trade. Stafford. Yeah. For Goff. Yeah. I mean. Why? Why would why would Detroit do this? Why would either team do it? I mean, if I'm LA, I'm doing this. I'll do it. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I'm I'm not going to sit here and spout off exactly why this is perfect because I don't follow the Rams the way I follow the Giants, where I know everybody's contract is ending at this time, this time, and this mm. time. But if they feel that Jared Goff's inability to diagnose defenses make the necessary throws is what prevented them from making a serious playoff run. And let's be let's be real. I didn't feel very serious about LA in the playoffs. Once you're in, you can do whatever, but I didn't feel like well, they he were was a real hurt. threat. Yeah, sure. I understand I mean, that, that, that. But I'm, of, I'm talking about a whole year's worth of work this year and last year for that matter. I don't if they felt that that was what this team was missing was a quarterback that knew what was he was looking at and doesn't need the coach to be telling him what plays to run while the the thing is cutting out due to NFL rules. If that's what they felt like, you trade whatever it takes. I mean, this is it. This is your shot. You built this team for a roster to try and win in a two to three year window. You'll trade whatever it takes to find the missing piece because winning it is all that matters. Yeah, see, I thought it was interesting. To me, it just kind of was like, it just seemed like McVeigh just didn't want him. He was done, and you know, I thought it was an interesting to show what kind of power he has to say because you know they remember they invested a number one overall pick on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they gave him a ginormous contract extension. Mm-hmm. They were that this organization was, you know, they were all in with him. You know, that's he's the face of the franchise. And McVeigh, I mean, that's not a very easy position to be in as a head coach to say, I'm out. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work. I mean, you know, he, he took them to a, a Super Bowl. I mean, they both did. So they both have some currency. Um, but for, you know, the Rams ownership to be like siding with the coaches a pretty interesting to the the power of what McVeigh has in that in that franchise and I, I think this gives him more job security and more or just you know this is going to be his team well, and we are seeing you know it seems like we're seeing some more and more cases like that around the league I mean think of Arizona you know when, when they came in and, and they uh, traded a first round pick right away yeah 
Because the, the coach came in and said, "This is that's not my guy." You know, I I'm I'm not in. And usually it's like you know players dictate, but it seems like there's you know, a little bit of a, a subtle shift going on in the league. Well, I mean, the other thing is, and we've been saying this, you know, since week three or whenever we played them. I haven't seen much different in Jared Goff this year or last year versus year two. You know, I, I just – at some point we have to wonder how much of this offense and this team success is McVay and what is, you know, Jared Goff just going through the motions. I mean, he's not a terrible quarterback. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's he's throwing – ducks out there because that's not true but I mean if, if McVeigh has to tell him still exactly what he's he should be motioning and, and looking for if he's doing all the fucking work in the headset why I mean why, you have your head coach doing all that that blew me away the first time I heard that I mean at a certain point I was like okay he's a rookie quarterback that sort of makes sense you know what I mean like um how could he possibly pick up an offense this quickly and and be effective? You know, if you want to win, you know, help him out. Do what you can. Run a fast offense. Keep the time that you can stay in the headset. You know, to your advantage. Help him out. Um, but I mean, now we're we're you're years down the line. If that is still happening, I completely understand this move. And you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that Matt Stafford is great, but I think he's underappreciated. I mean, he's never really had. Once Calvin Johnson was gone, he's never really had much going for him in Detroit to help him out at all. Not at the head coaching level, not on the talent level. Um, I think he's, a good now? He's, he's, not, he's not old. He's like 34 or something. 32. He's younger than me. He kind of, well, guess what kid? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, he kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, what's his name was that with, um, with Cincinnati. Palmer. No, uh, redhead. My brain is right. Yeah, kind of like he's not a bad quarterback, but he doesn't have that something. Sure. I mean, you can make that argument. That's that's fair. So, I mean, if you're going to make a move like, you know, this move, I want a quarterback who has something. Otherwise, what are you you really accomplishing? Well. A guy – a quarterback doesn't need to be babysat every moment if if that's really what's the case. mm -hmm. So – you're getting kind of a a finished product as opposed to one who's still in progress, and does that free up well, the coaching uh, okay. staff and to do other things? I, I I guess I'm trying to figure out what really what was the, motiv- what was the I think we know what the motivation was, but what was their kind of end game with Stafford? Well, I mean, I think he can make all the. Here's what I'm gonna say. You look at what Indy did with Philip Rivers. I mean. He really wasn't looking like no spring chicken throwing the ball in the playoffs this year. Um, but even just that little boost to Indianapolis got them to the playoffs and made them look like actual cont- I mean, That game was close, you know? Um, and I don't think Phil Rivers' last year is half physically that what Matt Stafford is right now. I mean, I still think Stafford can make all the throws needed. You know, there's no question about his arm strength or ball placement as far as I'm concerned. You know, we can we can debate his it factor and, you know, if he can lead a team to a championship or not, you know, fine. But, you know, he's no noodle arm right now. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you want to talk about 
scrubbing the bottom of the pot for a new quarterback. The rumors circulating about San Francisco trying to deal for Kirk Cousins, you know, that one I don't understand. Oh my lord! I <laughs> and, and you know I understand San Francisco's got a great team that you know Jimmy G isn't always healthy. Uh, you know that's a that's a big problem. Um, the problem with Jimmy G is the availability as opposed to his ability, and it's always has been. You know, what's it, the problem with Kirk Cousins? Everything. <laughs> he he stinks. Yeah. <laughs> He's not good. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't understand that. Much. I don't I, I don't I don't understand how he got the big that big contract to begin with. I don't understand a lot of things. I guess that's why we do a podcast as opposed to being GMs. But sure, I don't see it. I don't understand it. Yeah, I'd be much more worried about something like that. If I'm LA, I you know I probably don't pull the trigger begging for Stafford. I'll probably look for some other solution. But again, I don't follow the Rams as closely. I mean, maybe it really is that Jared Goff is getting his hand held, and you've got your head coach worrying that much about you know calling every single play and then making the the play adjustments at the line for your quarterback still you know is cause for concern. Sure. Um, and don't you get the sense though that McVeigh is that type of coach who wants to be that guy? That was going to be more... my follow up. Do you do we really think that McVeigh is a great head coach? I mean, I don't think anyone really debates that he's you know this bright young offensive mind, right? But does that necessarily mean that he's a good head coach? I mean, it seems to me that he likes to have all ten fingers into the offense. And we, he had a fucking hard knocks, man. So, like, this isn't coming out of just my gut it, feeling. Is there anything – has he done anything really egregious as, like, you know – No, 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 is, no, no. Is he known for clock management issues or things like that? Not really. I mean – It just – no. But, but it feels just, like – it just feels like that's what he wants. You know, like, the defense, yeah, yeah, stop the ball. You know, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll call time out here. You know, whatever. But to me – he, like, is up at 3 a.m. He's not studying what his defense can adjust to on the other team's offense. He's up there drawing different diagrams of creative plays he can run. I think that's what he likes. That's what he wants. And yeah, but even if he gets a quarterback that can do it for him, I feel like they're almost going to be butting heads. It could be. But, I mean, I, I feel that's – you're also kind of describing a guy like John Gruden. Well, I mean, we can talk I mean, about it. I, 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 one of those guys who's so popular due to his personality, mostly. Yeah, but I mean, he is. He seems like a guy that's like he's he's an offensive-minded coach, who's you know up at four in the morning every day. That was the whole thing was with Tampa Bay and stuff. And he's you know give him a said look, I'll take a good defensive coordinator. You take care of that side of the ball, but this is gonna be my baby. Is mm-hmm. the offense. And that's so. that's fine, uh, and I think that some guys can manage that. I just think, like I yeah. said, like you know, we're describing this issue with Jared Goff. Maybe he he's he needs his hand held, but I think at a certain point, I think Sean McVay likes holding fucking hands. You know what I mean? That's true. I th- that's what that's what it feels like. It's, so that's the case. Why get rid of him? <laughs> there, must, there must be something else going on then. If he doesn't mind the hand holding, well, it, it's. Placing blame, I guess, right? Blame for what? For not for not succeeding. Well, he had a broken finger in the playoffs. I mean, just telling you. I, I mean, at a certain point, I mean, he's gonna. I don't know. I, I that's just what I think. I think he's like, you know, you know, we would have won more games if he would just, you know, learn this. He's not learning this, you know, blah 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 blah. I agree with you. You know, I I I agree that Jared Goff 
I actually think played really well in the playoffs, probably better in the playoffs than he did during the regular season this year. Um, but that's just how I see it. That's how I see this is all going on. What was um, their record this year, the Rams? They were 10-6. and six. They're 10-6 and six in probably, you know, in a very, very good division. Oh, yeah, but they split the division. They were 500. Yeah. But I'm just saying they didn't. Their division. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... I don't think there's any scapegoats or, or, or you know, guys being hung out to dry for. I don't. You know. I don't think he was in trouble and needed to place the blame. That's not really what I'm saying. I think he's he feels they could have done better, and he feels that it's probably Jared Goff's fault, not his. That's what I think. It's a it, it, it's a it's a bold move. Mm-hmm. I'll give him that. If he if he thinks that's the problem and they do it, that's a bold move. But it also could backfire on him. And it might not, it's not going to cost him his career, but it could cost him in L.A. You know, two three years down the road if Matt Staff, if Stafford's still Stafford, sure. You know, and you know the the rate of return from him isn't that great, and they gave up a lot to get him. So I don't know. Well, this is this is something definitely would be intriguing to watch, and we play there next year, don't we? Uh, we I think we play the Chargers though. Oh, okay. I don't think we're playing the Rams. Am I wrong about that? Who knows. I know, I'm, I'm pretty anymore. sure we yeah I'm pretty sure we play the Chargers next year so yes but no we play there um, last little tidbit um, the Giants signed center Jonathan Harrison former Florida Gator um, to a one year contract the details of which are not known at this time uh, I think it's in the realm of two million dollars or something like that. Um, I don't think yeah I don't I don't see the the official numbers anywhere. Signed off of the Buffalo practice squad. He's been in the league since 2014, undrafted free agent, who's with the Colts for 2 years, Jets for 2 years and then um moved on to uh Buffalo. I don't know if you remember anything from his Florida years as a center. Do you? I mean we're going back now, mm-hmm. you know, quite a ways. I mean, he was at the, he was recruited by Urban Meyer, played in the Will Muschamp era. So, you know, offenses very rapidly decreased in productivity and <laughs> scoring and all that, and, and quarterback play and, and and you name it. But um, this move to me just seems like it's just a move to provide some roster depth during the off season, during OTAs, during summer camp. Uh, you know, Nick Gates played out of his ass. It was one of our big concerns in the off season. It's like we thought we needed, you know, we need to rebuild three of the five spots in the offensive line. And I think we feel pretty comfortable that at least in 2021, you know, we are we're in good shape with Nick Gates. I don't think they brought him in to challenge. I mean, again, if it was something, if it was a free agent signing and the first day of official free agency, different story. But we're talking about a guy who's a Basically, a career, either backup or or uh, uh, practice squad guy. I just think it's a roster depth thing, not necessarily even a a game day depth move. And I'd be surprised if he's even on the roster when the the season starts. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. I mean, like you said, practice squad guy, and guys, this is this is a good thing. You know, for this team was so bad the last couple of years that every free agent signing, you know. No matter how not good the players were, they kind of had to. If they weren't starting, they were the first backup. I mean, 
this team is finally in a position where a lot of the players, a lot of the position groups have etched in starters or first backup. You know what I mean? Yeah. These signings yeah. now, they're depth and competition for depth. This is a good thing. Uh, I don't yeah. think this in any way pushes Nick Gates out of position or – I mean maybe it's competition for – I don't know. I, everything's competition, right? But, you know, I think right here at best – if Jonathan Harrison plays so well that he outperforms Nick Gates, this allows him the flexibility to move Nick Gates to to a guard position where maybe he'll play. You know, I I, I don't think that happens. I think this is just simply a depth position, and and yeah, yeah. you know that's that's not not a bad thing. That's that's a good thing. That is strictly I, I, a good I, thing. This team has been lacking depth for way too long. And I think it's good you said that because again. The layman looks at that, you know, that news story and says, "Oh, you know, he's going to be challenging. This is for challenging Nick Gates, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and go off on these kind of, you know, oh, we got a diamond in the rough, and we you know, no, that's not why they brought him in, you know. It, and I think it's for the reasons we said. It's just to set realistic expectations of n- not every move is a headlining move for a reason. Some of them are, you know." You're not just moving around your king and queen on the chessboard. You're, you know, you're readjusting your pawns, and this is what one of those moves is. Sure. Um, so, w- w- I mean, whatever. I'll, I'll keep my eyes on him when spring OTAs should they uh, should they be a thing this year? Um, which I, I I assume they'll they'll be right. I mean, if they've gone through a whole year of practices and stuff. I don't know why. Yeah, they... I, I I think there'll be some sort of modified version of it. Sure, yeah. I don't think it will be full-blown like it was, but I definitely think it won't be what it was last year. I mean, we just know more now. Well, we... last year was kind of like we didn't really know the depth of what we were dealing with. Sure. And every single day was like another breaking story with how bad things had gotten. So it was really just kind of testing to see if we could have anything. Now I think we've got uh, a workaround in place for some of these guys. So it probably won't be mandatory. Well, well, first of all, I mean, we're recording this. It's the first day of February. Mm-hmm. And when's the draft? End April. of April? Yeah. So we're talking February, March, three months to get vaccinations kind of Mm-hmm. You know, circulated. Yeah, and just kind of uh, you know going from you know older Americans and those at high risk to different levels down. So in three months, uh, I'm hoping in three months that Grump and I are talking to you as fully vaccinated podcast hosts. That would kick ass. Yeah, I mean that'd be that'd be fantastic. I mean three months is a long time from now to get our shit in, in order. Um, so you know who knows? And just in three months, then you know forget about you know, the season. And, you know, while we're talking about it, you want to make a, your first wild guess on February 1st, if uh, we'll be in the stands next year for opening weekend. I will say yes. That's my wild guess. I have nothing to back that up. It's just a guess. Um, And the second part of that is with 79,000 other fans or 25,000 other fans. Um, I'm going to say 79,000 other fans. I am going to go with, I think, because we're still in New York, and I think we're going to lag behind most of the country is in our precautions. I think we will have, I think we'll have like a quarter to half capacity 
in the Meadowlands in the, for the, big, the beginning of the season. I mean, we are going to get vaccinations going, I think, in the second half of the you know, second quarter, third quarter of the year. But make it available to more and more Americans. But the question is going to be how many people are actually going to do it. And I think there's going to still be I think 2021 is all about just getting as many people as we can done. And 2022 is when we're really back to normal. So I'm going to my early prediction now is 50 percent crowds in the Meadowlands. But I think that's that's quite an achievement considering where we've been and even where we are right now, because right now can't go to a Nick game, can't go to a Ranger game. You know, most, uh, you know, Baseball, we don't know what's happening with that yet. So I, I think we have a long way to go, but definitely more optimistic than I was, you know, 13 months ago when we started talking about this. And since we're in the spirit of predictions, give me a real quick Super Bowl prediction. Two teams I don't like. I mean, I think it's all known how much I don't like the Bucks. I don't even care about Tom Brady. You know, it, it, I know a lot of, I'm not part of the Yankee, Red Sox, New York, Boston, you know, super rivalry that a lot of people are, you know, and it's a little different with Giants and, and you know, it would be Jets and Patriots is one thing. So I don't really care about Tom Brady at all. I do hate the Bucks. I hate all my friends <laughs> who like the Bucks. Um, so I, I have no love for them, but I also don't like Kansas City. I hate any team that tries to rip off Florida State with their uh, – their uh, chant. I was wondering what the Kansas City problem was. Yeah, uh, you know, to me, the question is going to be: Is the Kansas City offensive line healthy and ready to go? If it is, I think they win by like ten. If they don't, I think it's a it's a it's a coin flip. So I'm going to I'm going to predict Kansas City wins thirty-one twenty-one. And I've been pretty good this year with especially picking the Bucks all the way through to this point. But I, I think uh, I think they'll be just healthy enough. Uh, we saw that Mahomes is healthy enough last week. He was able to pull things out of his ass. I, I don't think the concussion concerns are a concern anymore. It doesn't matter. This is not a normal home game. I mean, it sucks for the Bucks. It sucks for the people in Tampa. I mean, for Christ's sakes, all three pro teams are going to be in the championship game and the average fan couldn't go to any of them in, in, in this home city really blows. Um, but there actually will be, if you think about it, Grump, I think there's gonna be 15,000 people and they gave half the tickets away to local first responders and things. That's awesome. And, and I'm, it's, first of all, it's unbelievable. The NFL actually did that because you know, they, they keep Super Bowl tickets and money so far up their ass. It, it probably turns into diamonds but having all those local first responders and these are local first responders, that means they're fans. And I've been to Super Bowls where, you know, the crowd seemed kind of 50, 50. You saw some fans, but it wasn't the same. This is going to have actual fans there. So it's going to be probably more of a home field advantage than you think it is. You know, if it was a normal corporate crowd with the tickets, if this was 2019 and this game was in Tampa with the Bucks, it wouldn't feel like a home game like you'd think it would. But this one, I think, kind of will. And I think that will help the Bucks. But I just, at the end of the day, you know, Tom Brady is not Tom Brady with a capital T and a capital B like he was three, four years ago. And Mahomes is a capital P and a capital M. I think they win 31-21. 
I'm with you, but I think it's a little bit closer. I think the Bucks have been playing better than uh, I've I've expected. They decided to wait till the playoffs to do it, but I mean that's a good time to wake the. So wait, we, we've done it twice in the yeah. last uh, two Super Bowl runs. Yeah, yeah, for real. Um, you know, I, I just it comes down to. You know, Buffalo started their game against Kansas City as good as you can start. You know, nine nothing. They go right off the bat. You know, they're scoring points, and it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I mean, they they just. It's not even that Kansas City was scoring on like every drive. It's how wide open everyone was. It didn't matter what pressure they threw at Mahomes because he would do something in the backfield whenever he needed to. You know, not only are guys wide open, they're also they can run three miles an hour faster than the fastest guy on the other team. They, they are just, just stacked just have, right now. They just have certain plays at certain times that are undefensible. Yeah, I think that's really all it is. I, and this isn't yeah. a slight on Tom Brady. I'm not saying Tom Brady isn't Tom Brady. I don't think he is. But even if he was, I think this is just a team right now in this bubble of their cap space and the the talent that they've acquired and in the right scheme, the right. Co- I just it takes a lot to beat them, and I don't think that. This Bucks team has what it takes. Um, I, I do agree. think that Steve Spagnuolo, as a defensive coordinator, has sort of lost his edge uh, over the years. I think he's benefited so much by a high-powered offense that people forget that he's not that great. Um, uh, I, uh, come on. Uh, that's that sounds like sour grapes a little it's bit. Not, <laughs> it's not sour grapes. I, I think that... Not that great. That That's mean... He's good. He's a good defensive coordinator, and if I had a team with a lot of talent on defense, he would be a good guy to run it. I don't think he turns coal into diamonds back there, and we saw that with the Giants, and that's fine. I'm not shitting on the guy. I'm just saying I could be your defensive coordinator if your offense is putting up 50 fucking points a game. We'll stop him, you know, enough for you to win. Uh, well, i give you an example again. I hate to do it again, but I'll give you a Florida example where you need to have – you can't have just 11 guys just out there on defense if you have a really good offense. They, but Tampa's they not Alabama. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, no. Um, I, I agree with you. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that the idea that people are looking at the Chiefs as, oh, my God, they, that this – uh, Eric Bielmi and uh, Bianami and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Steve Spagnuolo always gets thrown in there. And even the networks, they zoom in on him and they're like, oh, Steve Spagnuolo's defense is Tom Brady. And they make the connection to the Giants 100 million years ago. And it's well, like, narrative. But, but I understand that. But I mean, that's also the public perception. So I'm just weighing in on the public perception. I don't think that this defense is going to be completely shutting down Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. Just putting that out there. We I are... think the Chiefs win. I think it's going to be by a little over a score. You know, maybe something like nine points, eight points. Um, when you get to, you know, mid-January to February, all these teams are really, really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I expect teams that are in the Super Bowl to be able to, A, score, and B, stop the other team. So it's, it's not a, you know... To say, well, they're not going to be able to shut them down. Well, I don't expect anybody to shut anybody down. I mean, there's very, very few exceptions in the last 40 years where I expected a team to go in and say, this other team is not scoring. And that may be like the 85 Bears and, you know, not many other examples of just like, they're just going to shut this other team down. 
I mean, I don't. I I'd be very shocked to see this turn to a 45-41 game. I mean, that's why I kind of came up with like 31-21 around there. Like, yeah. you know, I, and I think at least one of those buck touchdowns is going to be just like, you know, precision one bomb or something. Just oh, like okay. somebody gets loose and it just as opposed to like consistent marching down the field and scoring. I think it's going to be one broken play, one busted coverage. You know, just somebody gets loose behind a secondary and just scores lightning quick. But I don't think that Tampa Bay is going to have consistently have just long marches down the field, getting five or six yards every single play, eight minutes off the clock. I do think there will be at least one drive like that, though. Oh, I said. Yeah, I mean, they won't have any, but I don't think consistently they won't do it. Yeah, just any 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 thoughts of you know Steve Spagnuolo's defense doing what he did in two thousand seven, keeping a a Patriots offense. What did they average thirty plus points a game down to fourteen? I Giants don't expect had, that. Giants had a lot more talent than this defense does too. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Talent um, talent usually is the determinant. I mean, coaches are great, you know, but. Coaching can only be as good as the talent you have. Sure. Well, you heard it here first. That's our Super Bowl predictions. That is this episode. So everything in between now and Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, you can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump. Catch me as always at the Cranky Fan. A lot going on. Super Bowl week. Got the Knicks are actually playing basketball that we can watch and not get sick over. My Lightning continue their march towards an, another cup. And uh, theoretically, spring training is in the same month we're in right now as, you know, we have a blizzard and, you know, who knows what the union and the uh, the owners will agree to for a season. But spring is coming. So just hang in there a little while longer. And as always, you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, you name it, that's where it is. So be sure to give us a nice review on there and subscribe for free so that you get all these episodes first thing in the morning. And with that, everyone, go Go Giants. Giants!